Mobile learning is something that has been discussed in the learning industry for quite some time, but is often misunderstood. So today our guest, Kath Ellis, is going to help me unpack and define this topic a little bit better. Hi, I'm Raf Dolanowski, and this is Click Next to Continue. Welcome everyone uh, to another episode of Click Next to Continue. Uh, Today we will be tackling the topic of mobile learning. Um, But before we get stuck into that, I am super excited to introduce our guest today, Kath Ellis. How are you going, Kath? Good, Raf. How are you? I am fantastic. Very excited to have you uh, on the podcast. Um, For those of you who are already following you, they'll be quite familiar with your work and what you do. Um, But for those who perhaps aren't, do you want to give a quick uh, snapshot of what you do and your background uh, and then we can get stuck in? Yeah, sure, Raf. I've been a learning designer for over 20 years I've worked mm-hmm. in a number of uh, different types of roles. Uh, right now, I'm running my own freelance learning design business. Awesome. I've been doing that for about four years. So mm-hmm. it's been uh, quite an adventure over the years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I- I've been following your work uh, for quite some time, and-, and it's just super innovative stuff. Uh, just the other day, I was so excited by the the stuff you were showing me that you've been doing with Alexa um, and doing um, the lessons in Alexa, and it's just really, really cool stuff. So uh, very excited to have you on here. Um, And I guess, yeah, the topic of mobile learning. So we were having a chat around this uh, just the other day, and and it's kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. one because um, while the term has now been around for quite some time, you know, I I think it probably hit, you know, peak hype, let's call it five, six years ago. um, And it's kind of, you know, I guess rolled off that hype curve. It is something that we still need to discuss and understand. Um, in terms of opening up this topic, um, as always, I think it's really important for us to be able to define well, what do we mean when we're talking about mobile learning. So I might actually throw that to you. Um, when when someone says mobile learning, or, or when I guess you're talking about mobile learning, what are you actually talking about? Well, the way that I interpret mobile learning is when you basically are doing some kind of learning on the go, mm-hmm. and I think it's it is a term that's misunderstood a little bit. I'm not saying that I have it completely down-packed, but what I'd say is when you're not sat in your workplace, Mm -hmm. when you're not sat in front of a desk, I'd class any type of learning, mobile learning. That could even be kind of discussions or, you know, um, it's very, very broad. I think people get so focused down on just it, it, it being a solution that's, being used on a on a phone right. and it's actually so much more broad than that yeah yeah i think you know one of the things we we so often see and, and this was i guess particularly when there was this big hype around mobile learning was just this focus on being very technology centric and and a lot of people interpreted that mobile learning basically meant um, an e-learning module that was responsive and would work on a mobile phone and yeah. the whole learning design aspect of it, um, the, the user experience aspect and that human-centered design was missing because, you know, uh, if someone is beyond their desk, we have to start asking questions like, you know, why is someone not at their desk? Why are they completing this training? Um, or do they have a mobile device? What are the specifications of it? But then what do we know about that individual? Um, and one of the scary things is very often if someone is doing mobile learning, I guess, we don't know much about that individual and, and potentially their environment um, that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it, once you start going down a rabbit hole with this, it's <laughs> it, it's it opens kind of a 
a whole burrow of 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 options you know mm. it's very very interesting um i think that uh, you're certainly right with people's definitions of mobile learning i think there's so many more options that are available right now for people to um to to look at with regards to learning solutions mm-hmm. And, and is that in terms of, I guess, looking at uh, authoring tools or I guess kind of breaking that bubble you mentioned at the start of it, you know, it not necessarily being about formal learning that, you know, hey, someone's going to do this and we know they're going to do this beyond their desk, but in still, I guess, a controlled environment. Like, where do you think the boundaries are for, for mobile learning and, and what, I guess, falls um, under that category for you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, <laughs> even just talking about Amazon Alexa, you know. Um, I think that that is a form of mobile learning. Okay. Uh, I, I think that any kind of uh, app uh, that, um, that that you use, whether it's AR, um, that again is, I don't know, I kind of align a lot of it to uh, what we were talking about the other day with just-in-time training. Yes, yes, yep. Um, and I hear some kind of apprehension in your voice. So I'm not sure if you agree with me 100%, but... Um, that's certainly how I try and define it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, for me, it, it is very much, I guess, you know, to, to the core nature, it, it is about the mobility of the individual. And I guess, you know, the, the key characteristic mm. is that they are no longer in a controlled environment in the context of, I guess, sitting at a desk. Um, they're completing some, I guess, formally structured training or, or they're doing something where they're in an environment where we can make some assumptions. Hey, if they're at a desk and they've launched, let's say, something that is um, you know, corporate training, they've made a commitment that, yep, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it. Um, and they've made a commitment to focus themselves on that. Um, and they've probably blocked out a bit of time. So we can be pretty confident that that user is is going to be able to get through it end-to-end um, and, I guess, not have distractions in the outside world influencing them. Um, and then, obviously, you know, that the format of that training, is it just in time or is it something that's, you know, um, you know compliance-based training where some of the topics can't be just in time because you want people to know about it beforehand uh, and then apply it correctly. So the topics kind of vary, whereas to, to your point, once they're beyond their desk, I think that just-in-time stuff is, is exactly right. Uh, so, you know, I'm beyond my desk because I'm out in the field working on a, a machine that I am familiar-ish with, but maybe there's some quirks to it so I can access some just-in-time training on that there. Um, the the AR example you used, I think, um, is really, really great. And I think that's, you know, one of the, the powers of, of kind of mixing just-in-time and mobile and technology so that people are able to augment the information they need onto their environment. And and I guess it kind of becomes a potentially a performance support thing or potentially a learning thing, uh, depending on what topic you're unpacking. So let's say hypothetically someone's doing, I don't know, an induction of a new site. Um, and around that site, there's areas that are dangerous, um, site areas that they can't access because they don't have uh, the right permissions. And then as they're going along, they kind of want to be introduced to um, what everything does, the, uh, the kind of let's say it's a production facility, this machine does X, this machine does Y, just being allowed to give them, you know, a set of AR goggles, walk around that environment and see that information live, stop at something, kind of get that experience when you go to a, I guess, an art gallery where you can kind of hear about that painting. So you're looking at this machine and you're getting a brief about it. So all that sort of stuff definitely for me falls in that um, umbrella of mobile learning because literally it's the, the individual is mobile at that point in time. 
make, makes me think a little bit as well about when I was um, working at the police academy mm-hmm. and we were we were basically building training for recruits. And we one of the sessions that I put together was uh, problem-based learning. And within those sessions, there was a number of problems that they would need to work through. And at some point, part of, part of the session was actually them doing research in that environment to work through these problems. So whether it was to uh, jump on and to call another department, mm-hmm. um, whether it was the... Uh, you know, the dog squad or whether it was something like that. Mm -hmm. And I class that as well as mobile learning, Um, you know, because they're, they're, uh, so, so, so it can be, it can be incredibly broad, Mm -hmm. whether it's using uh, a specific piece of technology or whether it's actually using it for uh, research, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. So you can use it in that, synchronous and asynchronous way yeah and i guess so maybe in terms of one of the things that would be really interesting to unpack uh, for people listening is is i guess what are the unique consideration uh considerations when you are designing something that you know is going to be consumed as mobile learning and maybe for this one um i'll put a sort of a box around it so we can kind of keep it relatively focused which is um let's assume that we're talking about the equivalent of i guess e-learning type training so training that people need to consume and it has a structure to it um yeah but it is i guess interactive and it will be something that they access via um a mobile or tablet device yeah so what the the access methodology so i guess via lms or, or via another platform so you know i don't know linkedin learning youtube or i'm thinking something that's uh interactive um, may or may not be on an LMS. I think that's a really good point um, that you know often is overlooked mm-hmm. that people go, hey, this is mobile learning, and then the LMS is awful when it comes to accessing on a mobile device. Um, that That's a key consideration. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. But yeah, kind of thinking about it, hey, if I'm designing something with a e-learning, I guess, mindset to it, what do I need to really consider yeah. as the unique things when I go, okay, well, my audience is actually going to be consuming this on a mobile device. Um, and in a mobile yeah. state. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when I get someone who approaches me and they're interested in in um, a solution, mm-hmm. I'll normally work through with them. Uh, well, this is the way I do it, Raph. I'll normally work through with them. Um, you know, the type of uh, the type of environment that this learner will be doing training. So, for example, um, I'm quite passionate about building training for the disability sector so if I use that sector as an example um, you know my thought process is that uh, staff who don't have access to a desktop we should be looking at solutions like uh, mobile learning Mm -hmm. okay Um, so they can use it on a variety of devices Mm -hmm. so when I have a conversation with a client normally there's a little bit of a um learning that that needs to happen as well for for their expectations to be set sometimes i'll hear language like yep okay we want mobile learning but i want games yeah i want it really interactive i want you know all these complexities like a character and and i say okay and the the kind of expectations that i set with clients is you have to think about uh, your everyday experience right mm-hmm. now on on the world wide web. Mm-hmm. So yep. 
think about when you go to a website, the kind of experience you're going to get, because it's going to be very similar. A lot of the time it's a scrolling experience, like adapt or evolve or rise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if, we, if we're talking about authoring tools here, um, a lot of those um, uh, are a very, very similar experience as, as web design. So, you know, if they want to have this kind of heavy experience, I, I ask them, what what are they trying to achieve? They're not gonna they're not gonna be able to achieve much putting a game on a on a mobile phone. Yeah, you know, for these learners who are out in the um, workplace, is it essential for them to go through this whole experience, or would it be better for them to have a toolkit that was um, ready? F- you know, set up so basically, if they need to understand about, for example. Um, manual handling, so moving mm-hmm. moving a participant with with a disability, they might basically have been given a. Um, they might be tasked to go and meet with a client who they haven't actually done any manual handling before. Yes. So for them to, for example, have a toolkit there that they can quickly check. Say, okay, these are the different. Um, this is the way that I need to to assist this participant. Mm-hmm then um, that's going to be much better than taking them through a game on a mobile. Of course. So if people want a richer experience, like something very interactive, I'll suggest that it really should be on a desktop. And and I guess, you know... That's just the way that I work with a client. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the key call out there is, is again, kind of understanding the environment. So to to the point of um, the example you gave about kind of helping move someone um, in the disability sector... If someone's accessing that information, um, then more than likely they're, they're in a situation where you know that they've potentially got that person or they're right about to um, perform that task and they want to have the information mm-hmm. right there and then because at that moment they have a hurdle between them and them successfully completing that task. Um, and I know this is, you know, kind of a bit That's of a, a straw man argument, but you don't want someone kind of, you know, come into the room and be like, hey, you know, we're going to help you out. We're going to move you across whatever it is and then whip out their phone and like start doing this and, you know, playing Space Invaders because it's engaging and getting a score up. And the person in the room's like, so like what's going on? It's, I'm just completing my learning just so I know how to move you. Like it, it's, a, it's a redundancy. Um, you know, you, you want something that's there, quick to access, quick to understand. Absolutely. And I think some of the, the key things that I'm loving with uh, mobile learning solutions right now is the searchability. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Rise and you look at Evolve and you look at Adapt, which are, you know, just three examples, they're fully searchable. Yes. Or at least I know Adapt and Evolve are um is rise i'm not sure but um i certainly know that they are searchable and they're very lightweight yes. so for yep. staff who are out there in very regional um areas like you know gippsland for example mm-hmm. you know where 3g is basically the most that you can get in a lot of areas even me up in the dandenong ranges i'm very restricted with my access so to be able to to pick up a module and Again, I can do a 20-minute module that's, you know, under 10 megabytes, Mm -hmm. which is in comparison to, um, you know, a rich articulate storyline course, you know, that can be 100, you know, depending on the kind of media that's in there, they can be heavy, heavy programs. Mm, Yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And and I think the other thing that, um, you know, uh, mobile kind of 
brings to the table when you're talking about, okay, what does the solution look like? Is, is I guess, the access behavior, and, and you sort of touched on this with the, the LMS comment, but how is someone going to get to this at the moment of need? Or, I guess, if, if they happen to be out there and they just want to do some, I guess, more professional development, what is their pathway to getting to the content? Because the pathway to the content is also quite mm-hmm. important. So um, something that, oh boy, I'm going to probably get flamed for this because I always do. Um, but when it comes to mobile, one of the things I love is, in, I guess, in a corporate sense, is the use of things like QR codes. Um, flame yeah. suit on, fully being flamed. Wow, you're so old with QR codes. Rah. But uh, thinking of it practically, if you have, I guess, let's say um, an office space um, and around that office, um, you know, I think that the nemesis of everyone working in an office space is the office printer. It, it's just so complicated. It's a big beast and it's usually quite aggressive with the noises it makes. But And usually there's a there's a, an either easy or kind of complicated process to actually making it all work for you. And let's say, you know, you're, you're part of your induction and that person goes, hey, we've got this great amount of resources online. Um, you can access them and they teach you how to do the, you know, how to set up the printer and et cetera, et cetera. Um, during that induction, I'll probably go, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely, cool. That's that's I'll, I'll access it when I want to. And then halfway through the week, I need to print my first job. And I'll go to the printer and I'll arrive at it. And then there'll be a pass scanner and they'll be asking for IDs and this and this. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's something somewhere that I can find around this. Um, now, if I'm in category A um, of, of people, which is, I reckon I can give this a crack. I might play around with it. It will take me a bunch of time. It might be frustrating. I may get to an outcome or I may not. Uh, if I'm in category B of, yeah. hey, no, I need to find the right information, I'll go back to my desk and then I'll start trolling for emails and trying to find mention of where these resources are. I might jump into the LMS, um, heaven forbid, to kind of try and look for it. And, and that could be quite a frustrating journey to arrive at it. Or alternatively, um, if there was this really clever uh, learning designer um, out there, maybe they put a QR code on the wall, which means I can just scan it with my phone and get the information there and then as a simple quick reference guide or something like that, and I can complete it all there. And I guess that's, I guess, one of the things that needs to be considered is what is the access behavior? Because it's no longer, I guess, I received an email telling me to do compliance training and I click that link. It's... Well, yeah, what is it? Like I've arrived at a location. How do I know I'm at the right location? I've gotten to this device. So that access behavior is super important and, and especially from an LMS perspective mm-hmm. as well. Um, will people even bother trying to get into an LMS on their mobile phone? So um, yeah, definitely another sort of consideration mm-hmm. there. I mean, I, I remember talking about this a while ago, but uh, even the idea of doing an induction that was just based on QR codes. Yep. You know, if you can imagine... QR code outside the accountant's office. Yep. So it's a bit like um, an adventure that a new member of staff has to go on. They go from one yep. person at the end of so the scan, scan the QR code, up comes a video, you know, hey, my name's Ed, I'm an accountant. Yep. Um, this is what I do. Our, our team is responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got any questions, go to this person. And, uh, yeah, now see if you can find the head of sales, yeah. you know. And the nice thing is that, you know, is this really necessary to go through a course? Could this, you know, 
And something like that is so easy to just change. You know, mm-hmm. someone leaves, someone, you know, changes the role. It's just a new video, yeah. you know. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate yeah. Um, yeah. certain things. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So. And, and I think, you know, to, to that point of, um, you know, a lot of people kind of thinking about, okay, well, how do we jazz this up? How do we put the bells and whistles? Let's make it a game. Let's do this. One of the areas that I have always been, I guess, talking about it and it's been a, a, an interesting conversation to have is, again, going down a hypothetical path of we're going, yep, people will be consuming this on um, a mobile phone. Uh, you start to think about, mm-hmm. I guess, the ergonomics and the UX design for that device because yeah. we know they're not going to have a mouse. Yeah. Um, and I guess for me, mm-hmm. when you're thinking um, the, the relationship between a desktop and a tablet device versus a mobile and a tablet device, a lot of people put the tablet and the mobile phone together um, as I guess a like their mobile devices and then the desktop's the outlier, where for me, it's probably actually grouping the desktop and the tablet together because from a visual design Mm. and a UX perspective, you can probably apply very similar methodology. Whilst on the tablet, yes, you don't have a mouse, you're holding it probably with one hand and you're clicking kind of with the other one. Um, and again, I feel that tablets are like a commitment device. I don't kind of whip it out in an awkward situation and start trying to use it. I'm usually sitting down or, or, or doing something that allows me to comfortably hold it. Whereas the outlier is the mm. mobile phone. I can be in any environment mm. there and I can either be holding it, you know, um, in landscape using two fingers to navigate through it. Or in most cases, what people do, and you kind of commented on this, is expect it to work like a website. I'm holding it portrait um, and I'm scrolling through it and I'm using my thumb um, on either hand. So all of a sudden you start to think about, okay, well, what does this mean for designing the interactions? Where do, ha- where do buttons have to go? How do we ensure that we don't have yeah. content under the area that someone's probably just kind of hovering their thumb? Um, and, and I think that yeah. brings its own challenge that is so often overlooked. And especially, um, when you talk about people asking for these complicated activities to be put into, um, you know, th- this learning, which potentially, you know, the, the scenario I'm picturing is someone, and this is going to be a, a Melbourne, I guess, scenario, on a tram, holding onto the little arm holder thing, mobile phone in their dominant hand, trying to get through it. And all of a sudden you ask them to complete an activity that requires like pinch zooming or drag and dropping stuff it's going to be really hard to do that. Yeah. Well, if, if not impossible. Yeah. And I think this is where some of these authoring tools are, are doing a um, doing a really good job in, in their options mm-hmm. because they're showing basically what's the, what is the capability of these tools, yes. you know, um, other than going out and kind of creating something from scratch, which you can do, but you know, it's, it's very, very expensive. Um, but we don't see many drag and drops. However, Mm -hmm. um, remember that, uh, Google garage, was it Google garage? Um, that was a bit of a kind of salesy training. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, but basically they had a drag and drop activity so Google created it uh, these mobile activities and then Articulate Rise have brought out the same activity it's like dragging cards into you know is this bot is this scenario correct yes you drag it into the yes box 
So that's been the only one that I've seen that is a drag and drop. Mm. Um, but I haven't seen them in the other tools. But yeah, you know, this is what I mean about the interaction level. Um, I say to clients, you know, you're going to be restricted, but you have to really think about what the end, what, what is the, what is this being developed for? Yeah. What are you trying to achieve from this? Yeah. You know, and a lot of the time people are, you know, there's a number of businesses that have been using mobile learning uh, very, very well, like Meyer and Cotton On. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they've had a lot of wins with mobile learning and they've also been um, developing a lot of modules that are very, very short. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, another thing that I advise a lot of my clients, you know, people reaching out to me for one-hour courses. <laughs> I'll be honest, I actually, I, 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 I don't even want to touch it because it's such a bad experience yep. these days for, for, for um, learners. So, yeah, I think uh, if, you, if you can kind of think about the end game, what you're trying to achieve, yep. um, you know, yeah. you'll, um, yeah, it's a big, big, big thing to work through. And I think, you know, as, as part of that end game, you know, being considerate of that, that end user, I don't like that, but the people, the people that have to, I guess, use uh, what it is that you create and, and, and be, you know, um, appreciate one, their time and the investment they have to put in uh, to, I guess, the learning experience you've created. Um, and to the point of, you know, over complex mm-hmm. activity, if, if something can be a multiple choice, and you make it a drag and drop. They they have to invest more to doing that. Um, but if it achieves yeah. the same outcome, then then what's the point? You know, something I always say is like, you know, clients like, oh, how how long should training be? So well, as short as possible, but as long as it needs to be. Um, and that's right. That's because whatever outcome we're trying to achieve, to your point, is is that's the concrete thing. And then we just have to find the simplest, easiest way of achieving that. Um, and then on top of that, you know, think about relevance and relatability um, of the activities we put in there. And and if we do put something that is a complex interaction, how does it deliver more value than a simpler interaction? And if, if, if it does deliver more value, then yeah, absolutely use it. Um, but in some cases, there is this situation where you do an activity and you're like, this really could have been a multi-choice or, or something that's more organic. So let's say, you know, you've got something that's just a, a true and false question. People are quite used to, you know, swipe left, swipe right. So if you can set up that activity, that's a little bit more organic because you've got the entire screen that you can pretty much touch to swipe left to right versus having true and false buttons. And I guess, yeah. you know, as far as an activity that can be seen as more complex, but is actually easier because anywhere I can touch on the screen and then I just swipe left to right, it does it. Whereas with buttons, I have to put my finger over a particular button and it's not as organic. Um, so it is that yeah. kind of always thinking about what is the right activity to achieve the outcome? Does this more complex activity deliver more of an outcome than a simpler activity? Um, and then, you know, to, to the point of does the user have to do this? Like I, I honestly can't mm-hmm. think of, you know, too many situations now where you'd want someone to for a solid hour sit down and complete M learning, uh, mobile learning, let alone e-learning or any anything else that's that's just them completing it in isolation. It's just the the it one, it's gonna just towards the end, you're gonna lose people anyway. So they'll just be trying to get through it. But if something needs to cover off 
and be an hour of overall learning experience, that's great, but it shouldn't be a single deliverable. It should be, you know, something that introduces them to then maybe, you know, a week later, something to follow up, a few um, resources they can access somewhere. It's, it's like a whole solution, an ecosystem of deliverables rather than, yeah, one chunk and like you're doing this yeah. and, and no other options. Uh, and that's why I was talking a little bit about um, breaking things down into smaller components yep. there's um uh, i i i learned this this uh this term that i've been using with clients and it's called learning moments and i know it sounds totally wanky mm-hmm. but um you know i i kind of say to to clients you know um you know let's you know instead of calling it a big long e-learning course let's break it down into small learning moments mm-hmm. yep and also using terms, you know, when I'm building things in Adapt, I called them um, like learning apps, yep. which is a little bit sexier than, you know, yep. e-learning. <laughs> yep. And it make you know, using that kind of language gets them, I think helps them understand a little bit about their interactions that they use every day on apps on their phone. Yes. You know, yep. uh, you don't see massive, um, you don't see massive kind of interactions within web apps unless they're actually a game yes so by using that kind of term it seems to help me get the message across okay. to to so to clients so it helps them relate it i guess to their day-to-day experience and and what they value in a day-to-day experience so you know let's say hypothetical hey one of the things probably a lot of people value is how easy it is to answer a phone call on their phone because the button pops up, you push the button and yep. all that. Uh, and, and this is actually something, uh, uh, something I always talk to clients, especially clients who I guess talk about diversity of activities. Hey, let's have this type here and then let's do this slightly different one here and let's do this something else. I'm like, imagine if every time someone rang you, your phone changed the way you answer it. So it rings one time and there's a button, you push it. Ring another time and this one, it tells you you have to shake it to answer it. Then another time you have to do a jigsaw puzzle. Like you wouldn't think that, oh, wow, this is great diversity. You go, this is annoying. Because the outcome is the yeah. same, and I just want to simply achieve yeah. that outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of um, language that I'll use. Certainly helps me get the message across to clients, mm-hmm. and they end up in many cases marketing it that way as well, yep. which gets gets their um, gets their learners a little bit more excited about it. Yep um about you know if you can be excited about e-learning i suppose um look you know really the sky's the limit with what you can put in mobile learning Mm -hmm. you know i recently did a hybrid e-learning podcast for a government department okay and uh you know use the actual podcast to tell tell the well tell a story but Mm. also walk the learner through the whole process of what they wanted the learner to to do mm-hmm. and I you know it wasn't a full podcast I underpinned it with some theory and I just had a little formative assessment at the end of each of the chapters just to make sure that the learners understood the key message from that chapter yep. and it was very successful now that's something that is really easy to do in in um, mobile in mobile learning yep. for example Mm-hmm. And um, so we can make things very rich. It's just being smart about exactly what solution we use. Yeah, 
Yep, totally. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the next question I have is is something that we've sort of been touching throughout this podcast, but I kind of want to frame it up and, and mm-hmm. kind of give people a, a nice anchor. So what are the what are the things you commonly see that people get wrong when it comes to creating uh, mobile learning? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of text. Yes. Yep. I, I I don't think anyone wants to sit and read a lot of um, a lot of text. I think putting just overloading it mm-hmm. really long uh, long videos. Yep. Yep. Everything should really be short. It should be short and sweet. Really short and sweet. And like you said, the the you know you can create. So for example, last night I created a little. Um, mock-up of something that could be built in articulate storyline okay um book for mobile okay so in the way that i i considered where the menu button would be where my next buttons would be mm-hmm. you really have to think about how the the experience that you use every day on your mobile phone yep. we see user experiences using facebook yep Nothing. So one of the things that really, really grinds me yep. is when I see help, a help at the start of an e-learning. And I, I constantly go back and say, our mobile phone, when we buy a new one from Apple or Samsung, it does not come with instructions. We pick it up and we just play with it. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you put new functionality like the Apple 10 or whatever it was called, Apple X. Mm. You know, when they took away the home button, you had to swipe up. You know, I think that um, we shouldn't be scared to let, this is a safe environment, let learners just find little Easter eggs and just, you know, make it a fun experience. We don't need to, we have to remember these are adult learners, so we don't need to add a lot of this this stuff in but you know you, you get a client who insists it and you just do it mm. and that's fine but um yeah just try and remember these are adult learners and we're on our you know I don't know what the what the stats are I'm pretty sure that they're over 90 percent of Australians have a mobile phone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a kind of smartphone so um it's thinking about the experiences like you said about changing buttons, I had a client who wanted a different button on each page. Yeah, and I just couldn't think of anything more hideous. So yeah, yeah I think you know, look at websites, look at look at designers out there. Go into Dribble, look at different um, mock-ups of of uh, experiences. You'll learn so much about design and what is good and what is not. Yeah, and just think about your experience when you go through something. What do you hate about that experience? Um, and I think you know to to, yeah. to that point, you know the 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 the, the, he, the thing I'm really hearing there is, um, you know, to the point of having you know massive help at the start of, of of learning, is if you go if you if you use an app, if you use a website, if you use all that sort of thing, they're built um and designed in a way that's really really intuitive to use and the idea is that because they're so intuitive you don't need that really 
you know, stringent hold handing, uh, hand holding of now do this, now do this, now do this. Um, and at the same time, you know, you, you don't want that to dominate the module and you probably just want that for, I guess, the people that go, hey, I, I am really struggling with this a little bit. And you can kind of embed it somewhere along. So it's a, it's a, it's a pool. So if people want help, it's like, hey, cool, it's, it's, it's available for them. But ultimately, if, if you've, to your point, drawn on what you see on the web, what you see on Facebook, what you see in apps, um, and you've kind of brought it all together, it should be quite a familiar experience. Like we shouldn't be trying to make mm-hmm. mobile learning different to, I guess, you know, what people are consuming day to day. We should be trying to make it as similar as possible um, because that's going to be a familiar experience. And what we have is, is the, user or, or the, the user or the learner or, or that person at the other end investing less of their, I guess, cognitive load in how do I use this thing um, and more of it, it kind of, you know, the interactions and all that kind of start to become invisible and second nature. So they're actually able to focus on, on what we want them to learn, which is the goal at the end of the day. Um, we don't want them to go, wow, that was a really cool interaction. We want them to go, wow, I learned something and now I can apply it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, um, and, and there's things that we can do to overcome building a module and then working out that it's, uh, it's it's not effective mm-hmm. by being a little bit more agile in our in our process. So I know that when I am working with a client and I I've done the learning strategy and then I get to my course over stage, mm-hmm. um, I not only build a um, a mock up for the client, but I actually build I actually um, take it to the next level where I I could build something in Adobe XD if it was. For example, um, for example, for example, if it if it was a, a a tool that wasn't so easy to 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 um, to create, mm-hmm. or if it's something that, that's custom that's being created, but you know, to if I'm using if I'm building something in our articulate storyline, for example, I will go ahead and I will build a number of screens and take it to the test phase yes. at that point yep. and get any feedback. And then I'm not going ahead and building a whole experience that people are struggling with. I've got, I'm kind of validating it at that point and the client feels um, more confident with that approach. Yep. So there's different things that we can do, I think, to um, nut out some different user experience issues. Again, I don't see that all the time with other learning designers. They're sometimes building the whole thing and then going, "Uh uh-oh. Yep. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah, no, that's that's, and I think you know, it, it's 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 very easy for I guess as someone who works a lot of the technologies and, and creates e learning, mobile learning, whatever it is, like this is our day to day. So it's very easy for us yeah. to get quite caught up in, I guess, um, you know, the curse of the SME because we're SMEs on how this works and the functionality and how to interact with it, etc. And and that point you may like um, taking something that puts it all together and actually reflects the actual experience. So no amount of storyboard and mock-ups that are static can really, I guess, paint the true experience of what the final solution or what the final product is going to be. So it's just so easy to create a little Mm -hmm. prototype, um, create something that is functional and you can go, hey, here's how this thing works. And then put it in front of your client, put it in front of a pilot group at that point and get an audience in there, yeah. throw it in there. And one of the big things I always talk about in pilots is the less briefing you give the pilot group, the better your data is going to be. 
Because sometimes, you know, I've, yeah. I've been in pilots and the client's super excited about it and they'll go in there and they'll start explaining everything about it. I'm like, no, stop. When someone accesses this, we want them to have the same amount of information as when they access it, which is, hey, here's the training, here's the description, go forth and then see if they can work yeah. it out. Uh, we don't want them to be overprimed. Yeah. And to that point, it also helps weed out the client expectations of, oh, hang on, this isn't quite what I was thinking or oh, this interaction is more complicated than I thought or I thought it was going to be more complicated and allows you to have that conversation up front or in the early stages rather than, yeah, to your point where you've gone, you know, here's the whole solution, ta-da, and they go, we thought it was going to be pink. Um, and you have that moment of, right, now what? So, um, yeah, absolutely really good point there. Actually, uh, I was going to say uh, it's something that I've been having a number of discussions with other freelancers recently because they're confused with the amount of effort that I put in at a much earlier stage to develop a prototype. But I actually think it helps the learner, um, the learner, it helps the SME on the journey with the development of the module. Yes. Also, if they've got a really strong brand and... I'm encouraging them to do to take a risk to do something different, you know, because it doesn't always need to be branded to the business. Yep. Um, it really helps them visualize the experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've had it before where I certainly have where where things have been developed and built. And then when the client sees it, they're like, oh, I wasn't sure it was going to be like this. Yeah. So I've been able to, as a freelancer, overcome all of that nightmare. Yep. By putting a bit of, it's just taking a bit of work, time out of my dev allocation yep. at that later stage, earlier, um, and yeah, it's it really really helps. So definitely, a, a really go. really smart way of, of I think working because yeah, it does save you that that downstream pain, um, and I think you know it it saves. Um, you know, very often I, at the end of projects, if, if there hasn't been something tangible, you get caught in these endless review cycles where you're kind of going round and round because the first review is the client experiencing it for the first time. So they're kind of mostly focused on that side of things. And then you address all those things and then they finally start focusing on the content and you kind of get in this endless cycle of them slowly moving through the phases of how do I like how it looks? How do I like how it functions? How do I like the content? How do I like the outcome? And to your point, if you just mm. kind of take care of that at the start, it means at the end when you ask them, hey, what you need to focus on is giving me feedback around this, they're able to focus on giving you the right feedback rather than kind of this, 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 their, this, their, their focus being in so many directions. So really, really great advice, yeah. I think. Hey, um, yeah. So, from here, I think we've covered a lot of ground uh, in terms of this around like designing, what are the traps? I think we've kind of also gone a little bit bigger picture. Some of the some of the tips you've given it can be applied just to learning design, period. Um, so I think really great. Yep. Um, if I had to ask you, hey, what's the one thing you want people to take away from this podcast, what would it be? That mobile learning isn't just your phone. Think a little bit bigger uh, picture of some of the tools that are around us that we use every day. I've got an Amazon Alexa right next to me. Mm -hmm. I actually think these kind of tools fit in that realm as well. So don't be scared to, you know, suggest some of these tools to yeah. clients. Think about where that end user is and what is going to be the easiest way. How do we 
Um, how do we absorb information every day? Yeah. And you know, think about some of these kind of tools. That would be my my um my key message for this podcast. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Kath, it has been a pleasure having you on. Um, as I said, I've kind of been following the work you've been doing over the years and you're doing some really fantastic stuff. Um, it's been great to have you here and hopefully we'll get another chance to speak on another podcast. Um, from here, call out to the audience. As always, if you have any questions, feedback, um, or anything like that, please do contact us. Um, I know myself and, and Kath will probably be more than happy um, if you reach out to us directly or, or comment on any of the posts. Uh, just throw your questions out, then we'll be able to address them. Uh, again, Kath, wonderful to have you, and uh, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Raf. Yep, reach out if you've got any questions. Click next to continue.